right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time for that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson, and with me is Nick Springer. Hello. Well, it's a fun show today, and we are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery on a Monday. See, when you say that, does that imply that there are some shows that aren't fun? I mean, there's less fun things to talk about, but like (laughs) it is, you know, normally we have fun, but like KU just rocks Houston. You got a game tonight against Kansas State. That was awesome. Super Bowl week. Bobby Witt Jr. signs a giant country. There's so much. Wait, going the Super Bowl's on, on Sunday? Oh, I know. I forgot about that. Yeah, Gosh. there's other stuff wow. that we've been having to deal with right now. So, uh, going to be a fun show today, like I said, and uh, we will play some audio from the KU Houston game and post game. We're going to recap the KU Houston game all throughout the show. Some KU football news: They hired a new defensive backs and co-defensive coordinator, uh, according to like. A couple different outlets, Yahoo Sports, The Athletic. Haven't heard anything specifically from Kansas, so maybe they are uh, ironing out the contract or, or waiting to get some of that stuff, uh, I guess, I's dotted and T's crossed and everything. But uh, we'll get to that. We have to preview the KUK State game tonight, too, because that's a quick turnaround for KU playing on Big Monday, and we'll get to some of that other stuff throughout the show also. So KU takes down Houston 78-65, to the final score. Jayhawks come out on top. And it was just a offensive thing of masterpiece. And everything about that win was yeah. absolutely gigantic for KU. Who you beat. Houston came in as, basically depending where you looked, AP poll top five team. Some of the, the metric sites, maybe even the number one team in the country. And you beat them. So that is obviously a very big win for your resume. It's a big win for your seeding. Graham Doran, who we'll have on again later this week, he uh, bumped them all the way up to being the last one seed. From that win after they were like a, a low two seed, high seed, three seed right now. So, I mean, who you beat is obviously huge. The way you beat them, you dominated this game. 13-point victory for KU. And honestly, at different points, it felt like more than that. And there yeah. were a few things that happened that you could have ended up winning by more. And then the meaning of that victory as well is gigantic. The meaning of the victory for Big 12 play, because you lose this game... All of a sudden, Houston's sitting at 7-2. and two. They have an easier final nine than you do. You would be sitting at 5-4, and four, two games back, still having to play at Houston. It would feel like you were not going to win the Big 12 at that point. Now, you're tied for first. All these other teams lose. Feels like it's wide open again. Feels like, if anything, you have the edge in the conference possibly right now, although the schedule still is very difficult. And beyond that, a win like this, the meaning of it, is that you showed you can beat anybody in the country. And I don't know that that... Is something we didn't know because they beat UConn, for instance, earlier this year, and we've seen that, but it was a reiteration of it. It was not just that you can beat anybody in the country, it's that you can beat anybody in the country because you won this game going big, and this was, to me, I I don't know, some other people might argue and say they felt this way in the beginning of the year. Some might say they, they felt it after they beat UConn. I felt like the UConn win was a good win, but I felt like it was a product of, hey, you have a good team and you beat a good team in Allen Fieldhouse. This was the ultimate ringing endorsement for me 
that this team can win a national title. And I don't know that they will do it because at the end of the day, it is so hard to win in March Madness and everything. But the point is, in a year where it's wide open, which has been the case over the last three or four years with, with all the stuff that's happened with the portal and COVID and everything, you are, in my opinion, one of those teams now, and you asserted that dominance in this game. So just everything about this win, gigantic. Yeah, this was the most impressive win of the season, I think, by far. I don't even think it's close. To your point, you look back at like the UConn win, beating Kentucky, beating Tennessee on a neutral court. Like Those were big wins, and those are nice wins. Mm-hmm. This trumps them all, I think, by a lot, a significant margin, uh, considering everything that you outlined with the, the, the importance of the game, both in terms of situating yourself as a national title contender and also kind of reasserting yourself into reinserting yourself into the Big 12 title race, right? Because now, you, including with Tech losing, you're right there. You're right back up uh, in tied for first place in the Big 12. So, yeah, just an absolutely massive win, and it started straight from the jump. KU had so much energy. The crowd was electric uh, from start to finish. The energy was awesome. Uh, they put the decimal meter up there, got up almost close to 130. Uh, so incredible performance from, from on the court and really from the crowd as well. The crowd was great. Uh, I was there. It was definitely very loud. A ton of fun. Uh, and it was KU's probably their best offensive performance of the season, really. Very, very impressive stuff of what they were able to do uh, executing against Houston's defense. And, you know, we kind of touched on this going back to Friday's show, previewing this game. Like, Houston's defense had been impenetrable. Nobody had even been able to get anything going against them. Nobody had been able to score over 70 points in regulation against them. And when you when you have a something like that as a team – you, you start to believe it. You start to believe we are unstoppable. Nobody can touch us. We are untouchable. And what happens? KU comes out, and they immediately get some back cuts. They immediately get some easy baskets. And it really looked like Houston didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to respond to a team actually being able to score on them. And that really showed, I think, throughout the game that Kansas that, that Kansas rattled Houston early on defense. And, and Houston, in the second half, they did get their composure back a little bit, I felt like. But, but from the jump, KU was all over them. Kevin McCuller obviously coming back and, and playing so well for KU. Hunter Dickinson had, had a pretty strong game. Dewan Harris was great. And, and, and yeah, this, this, this basically goes back to the conversation of, hey, man, we thought with El Marco Jackson at the start of the season that KU had one of the best starting fives in the country. Well, now you throw Johnny Furphy in there, right. and it's like 20 times better. <laughs> so I still now, can't believe that Jamie Shaw thing we talked about on Friday. But anyway. <laughs> so now you literally do have probably – a top two, top three starting lineup. Okay, can I throw a stat to that? Go ahead. Real quick. Uh, so I was looking, Bart Torvik, uh, we've mentioned this before, uh, some of the numbers like since Johnny Furphy has been inserted into the starting lineup, where they rank and everything. And since Furphy has been, I, I guess, I, I looked at this Saturday afternoon, so l- let me update the the query right now um, because it'll adjust for the games on Sunday and everything. Okay. So since Johnny Furphy entered the starting lineup, January 13th, which yep. is the Oklahoma game, which... Uh, it's been seven games since then. So it's not a huge sample size, but it's big enough. It's not big, two or three I agree. Games, right? big enough, yeah. They are third overall on Bart Torvik. The only teams who are better than them are Connecticut and Purdue. Houston's fourth for what it's worth. They are second in the country in offense in that time. Remember, literally before Furphy entered the starting lineup, we were like, is the offense good enough? Yeah. Because the offense was ranked like 40th in Ken Palm. Yeah. Defensively, they're 33rd, so they're still working on that. But if you factor in that, yeah, West Virginia and Iowa State shot Lights out. Really like, good. If, if they would have shot average in that game, maybe yeah. the defense is top 25 or something like that. Um, so it, that's pretty incredible. And then um, if you if you filter down a little bit more and look at uh, a smaller sample size of since uh, January 27th, which would be the last three games, 
Kansas is number one in the country overall, number one on offense in Bartorvik in that range. So, yes, Johnny Furphy has completely changed the trajectory of this season. Yeah, it's, and the way, and the way they did it beyond that against Houston was it was just beautiful basketball, man. It was just team team basketball. The ball was moving quicker than the defense. Houston did not really have any answers. They got it to Hunter Dickinson when he was doubled. He made the right pass. When he was one-on-one, he did the right thing and went and attacked and scored some easy buckets as well. Uh, so it was just really a phenomenal job by KU of execution. And, I mean, that's just what they do, man. In big games, these boys show up and they play at a high level. And that's obviously shout-out to Bill Self and, and, and his coaching staff. And then for KU to get up and play this game, right? I mean, Kevin McCuller was phenomenal again. Dewan Harris didn't really have the assist numbers, but he was great and did his job and certainly won the individual matchup against Jamal Shedd, uh, which was nice to see. So just a really, really impressive performance from KU. And, yeah, now you're back in the Big 12 title conversation. You're back. Not that you ever really left, but now you're you're definitely there for you're sure. You're like back-back. You're yes, like you're back, back, back to being yes. well, I, I like runners, I, I like back-back. Right? I like back-back. Well, because we mentioned on Friday that Kansas was 10-1. They were, they were, yeah, they were 10-1. Right? Yeah, to, to win the league. Yeah. On, on Friday. Yeah. And now they're probably the favorites. I haven't looked That's recently, a good question. but they're probably I the look favorites. as well. Yeah, if not the favorites, they've got to be right. Because like I said, I think Houston has a little bit easier of a nine-game schedule over the back nine than yeah. Kansas does, who Kansas' back nine is still uh, pretty brutal, pretty rugged, though this helps when you beat you know the best team you're going to be playing, albeit you still have to play them on the road, which therefore makes it a tougher game, but still. Sure. It was just an unreal offensive effort. And yeah, yeah. I, I think that's what the, the Furphy thing goes back to. It's just... Um, I, I think that I've actually seen some KU fans have this debate, and I think it's a fun debate. Uh, this is like an ultimate sports radio debate, which would be a great off-season uh, off conversation, too. Who's better, Johnny Furphy, Grady Dick, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't true. know the answer to that yet. I mean, if, if Johnny Furphy keeps playing like this, then maybe the answer will be Johnny Furphy at the end of the year. But I still would would go, if, if you're having that conversation, Grady Dick, and I would just say this. If Grady Dick got to play with Hunter Dickinson— <laughs> He would be doing the same yeah, thing. Yeah, because think about how many times he got face guarded last year. You yeah. can't do that if you have Hunter Dickinson on the same side as him catching in the block, right? Yeah, yeah. So that that would be a little bit different. I think that is an edge that, that Johnny Furphy has for sure. Yeah, and there's a specific point uh, with Johnny Furphy I wanted to make about him being in the offense, kind of to add on to the numbers that we were talking about, is there's a specific play in the first half of this game that I think really, truly highlights what Johnny Furphy brings to the offense that maybe El Marco Jackson just didn't quite figure out and didn't quite click for him. You go back to the first half of that game against against Houston. It was a six point lead for KU. They're up sixteen to ten, and they go with Hunter Dickinson in the high post. And Houston comes with a quick double, and Hunter Dickinson reads it, and he kicks to Johnny Furphy on the right wing, and it's a three. That play just it just doesn't happen with Omarco Jackson on the floor. Either the either Hunter maybe makes the pass to Omarco, but he misses the three because he hasn't been he's been shooting under under twenty seven percent from three this season. So either the, the three misses or. Maybe Hunter doesn't even have the confidence to get it to El Marco, and so he or tries El Marco to force it. catches it, drives, and then just kicks, and then it's reset. Yeah, yeah, or he forces, try to force it somewhere else. So that's just an that's just a specific example of what Johnny Furphy brings. Is you have to when you have a player like Hunter Dickinson, and then the opposing defense can double him, you have to be able to exploit that. And when you look at the other players that KU has on the floor, with Dewan Harris, who is not a guy that's 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 going to step into a three necessarily, Kevin McCullough, who the defense is going to be focusing on. And then KJ Adams is not an outside threat. If with El Marco on the floor, a guy another he's another that's another guy that's not an outside threat. When you put when you insert Johnny Furphy in there, suddenly when that double team does come, you have a guy that you can kick to that's going to shoot the ball with confidence. And that changes everything. That changes everything. And again, I'm not saying that you know, El Marco when he's out there that that Hunter couldn't kick to him and whatnot, but you've got to be a you've got to be a threat to shoot and score, mm-hmm. right? 
Because if you're a 25% three-point shooter and they come over to double off of you, they're going to let you shoot that three all, all day long. Right? Well, yeah, cause it, but it when you're a 40% three-point shooter like Johnny Furphy is, that becomes a lot more deadly and it yeah. becomes a lot more effective as well. No, it works both ways. It, it, it allows the three-point shooter to have an increased rate of hitting them. So if you're not hitting them, it, it doesn't take advantage of it. But it also works the other way where it's like, okay, this guy's hitting shots. Now we have to... You know, we, yeah. we can't help as much in the post. And exactly. all of a sudden, the result of that was that in the second half, Hunter Dickinson got a lot more one on one matchups. And what did he do? He went and scored because he, he was bigger. Do that like drop step or little spin move. Yeah. Kansas outscored Houston in the paint 42 to 24. So, I mean, like that's where you see the difference there. It yeah. was that ability to do that. Kansas at the rim was 17 of 21. That's 81%. They were four of five in the paint. So you combine it, just everything inside the free throw line. In that little box, they were 21 of 26. Yep. That doesn't happen if you don't have a Johnny Furphy and a Kevin McCuller on the wing. Yeah, because, I mean, threes. again, flashback to games like the Missouri game, where Missouri was like, we're just going to park three guys in the paint around Hunter Dickinson, and we don't care what KJ Adams and Marco Jackson do on the outside because they're not going to score. Okay, yeah. That was basically their game plan. Uh, but you can't do that. You can't do that when you have floor spacers with a guy like Johnny Furphy that, that can make you pay for doing that type of stuff. And, and again, the biggest aspect of that is, it really, really made Houston second-guess their defense because early in the game, it was clear their strategy was we want to immediately double Hunter Dickinson every time he touches the ball. And But when they did that and Johnny Furphy immediately hit a couple threes off of it, that made them question their defensive strategy. And in the second half, they waffled a little bit. They didn't always double Hunter right away. And what did that do? That led to him being able to score in the paint like you alluded to. And he's just simply bigger than he's just simply bigger than them. We talked about the length that Houston has, but they don't have a lot of vertical size. And they lose Francis early in the game as well mm -hmm. uh, to an injury. And that, I think, really also helped Hunter Dickinson, again, to be able to just go out and just impose his will uh, when he was left one-on-one. -on -one. And, and again, Houston was really stuck between a rock and a hard place in that situation because they, had, they knew that they couldn't double right away because they'd seen what had happened to, in the first half. And but they they needed to help a little bit, and when they didn't, Hunter would just go and score. Yeah, it really was a a perfectly just executed offensive game for KU. Again, you mentioned the number they they'd not given up seventy points in regulation all season, um, and Kansas got to seventy eight, and that's with you know basically yeah. running out the clock at the very end. And, and I will say credit to Houston because in the back of my mind as I was watching this game. I kept thinking, especially once Houston kind of felt like they started to get their footing in the second half with LJ Cryer making a lot of shots, I kept having this on the back of my mind of, man, if you're Kansas, you can't take your foot off the gas pedal here because I, I feel like if you if you let Houston settle into their defense, they could easily go three or four or five minutes without scoring. Right. That was kind of what I felt. And, and for Kansas, luckily, they were able to kind of keep things going and they were able to keep scoring because that was, I mean, in the second half especially, I was like, man... You know, you get up 16, you're feeling pretty good, but you cannot slow, you cannot stop because this Houston defense, if you do let them settle in and, and kind of feel more comfortable, they could easily lock you down for multiple minutes at a time and get themselves back in the game. So I'm really, I was really glad to see that KU didn't get complacent. They didn't, you know, just kind of give up on offense. And, you know, oh, we got, we got a 15 point lead, we're fine. They kept battling, they kept scoring, and I think that was a big difference in the game because. It felt to me as though Houston definitely could have, if they had gotten their feet under them a little bit more, they could have really locked things down and, and really kind of made that game more sweaty in the last four yeah. or five minutes. Well, no, they, I mean, they, they put they a little cut, sweat they, they in cut and they get it to yeah. 10, but yeah, you're right. I mean, what if that would have been at a point where it wasn't as big of a lead and it was six, you know, and then maybe you're sweating down the stretch. You were just in control the whole game. Honestly, it did remind me a little bit of, I can't remember if I brought this up on, on last Friday, um, the Baylor game. Kansas had, two years ago, Kansas had lost to Kentucky by, whatever, 20, 22 points in Allen Fieldhouse that Saturday, 
And then the next game, they won a close one at Iowa State. And I think Ochai was like out for that game. And it was like a good Joe Yesifu game, oddly enough. Um, but then they came back and they had a the big one against Baylor that Saturday. And that Baylor team ended up being a one seed. And KU beat the doors off them. It was like a 25 point win or something like yeah. that. And they just, they blew them out from the word go. Well, remember, you got the, then you got the KU game last year where they were down 15 and then they end up winning by 20. Yeah. But I just mean like you had the first weekend of February after you had maybe some questions about the team at the end of January or in January and you went against a really good team and you got the blowout victory. Fast forward to this year, you have some questions about where things are at in January. You're playing the other best team in your conference who's going to have a good chance to get a one seed like that Baylor team did. And even though it wasn't as big of a deficit, that one was 25, this one was 13. The only thing, though, that kept it from winning as much as that Baylor one was the turnovers. Yeah, I mean, because, as, I mean, as great as we've talked about the offense, right. and obviously they were fantastic in terms of distributing the ball and whatnot, they also had about a half a dozen plays where it was like, what? What? What are we doing? Yeah, if, I mean, Hunter just inexplicably chucks it into the third row at one point. Uh, he may, turned it over again another another point. Dewan had a couple bad turnovers. Uh, El Marco threw it away a couple times. So, you know, the fact that this was a Houston team that we talked about was so good at at stealing the ball and forcing turnovers. This was a game where you could probably rattle off at least five or six unforced turnovers by Kansas, and you would think if that was the case then that would mean that Houston would be right in this game. So that really kind of goes to show just how impressive KU was in this game overall. Because if you take the, if you take away those unforced errors from Kansas, it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, it was uh, 20 to 6 points off turnovers uh, favoring Houston. They were up 16 to 9 in fast break points. But that's kind of the point. Like, if, if that would have even been, you know, if they would have just led turnovers 13 to 7 or something like that, maybe it is a score that gets out of hand like that Baylor game. And obviously, that Baylor game showed what the team's ceiling could be. Um, they still had a couple losses from then on. I think they actually lost their next game on a big Monday right after that Baylor game. They played at Texas and lost kind of a weird game. But then from there, they only lost two games the rest of the way, won the national title. I'm not saying that'll be the case again this year, but I think it shows that your ceiling is that good. So um, just all-around performance by KU. I, I will say a couple other notes that I had from the game. Very weird bench game because you had moments yeah. of a little bit of everything. I mean, you had uh, in the first half, it was like, El Marco Jackson, the stretch he was in there was like you had a couple plays where it was like shoot the ball, shoot the ball. You got a pretty good look, and and you have to when you're playing a great defense like Houston, you basically there's you have to accept okay to good shots because an okay to good shot you're probably not going to get a great shot against yeah. Houston. You have to accept okay well, good yeah, shots. Your, your window digging. your window for opportunity for it's making that decision of shoot versus pass. It needs to be immediate. It right. needs to be, boom, snap of the finger. you got to make the decision. And so there were a couple of those that happened. Nick Timberlake had the missed three. He had the throw out of bounds. Uh, you had Parker Brown getting, like, blocked at the rim, something like that. Uh, but you also had some moments where the bench did some good things. In the second half, Parker Brown hits the three. Parker Brown gets the foul in the trip to the free throw line when things are getting a little closer down the stretch. And Marco Jackson had the one offensive rebound and then the putback right after right before that he had the lob assist to KJ Adams but then he also has the two turnovers that lead to the two threes by LJ Cryer so I thought it was a very weird bench game I, I don't know maybe maybe I think that's just how the bench is man it's it is gonna be like a roller coaster in a weird way maybe that was even a good bench game because even though there were a lot of negatives there were still positives and we've seen enough games where there haven't even yeah. at least been the positives like Parker Brown hitting three which by the way we, we talked about this off air a little bit before the show but I, I I wanted to rip my hair out watching that play. I'm watching this play. Dewan Harris gets the ball on the left wing. He is open for a three, okay? What does he do? He pump fakes and drives in to kick it out to Parker Brown? What What are we doing? It's Parker. I mean, if that's Johnny Furphy, fine, whatever. You're kicking it out to Parker Brown. 
I'm like, Worked out. what is going on? And then, of course, Parker Brown makes a three, and it's like, oh, wow, okay, sweet. I guess Dewan's a, a wizard. I don't know. But, yeah, that was just a I, – I, yeah, I was I was very, very upset for, like, a split second. And then Parker Brown makes a three, and I'm like, okay, fine, like, sweet, I guess. The other but, note yeah, I that had was here, just, yeah. uh, Kevin McCuller, he okay now? I mean, he, I, he seems fine. I don't know. Seemed totally fine. Whatever they gave him pregame. I guess give it so. to him again before case. This might be the better test because it's your second game within whatever forty eight hours or yeah. I don't know fifty four hours whatever it would be. Um, but yeah, he looked good. He he looked like it wasn't bothering him too much. But yeah, again, yeah. it's more about the grind, I guess. Kind of on the run out dunk though, he landed awkwardly on his leg, and I was like, oh geez, please don't <laughs> get yourself hurt on a run out dunk. Yep. Uh, by the way, I'm looking at the Big Twelve title odds. Houston is still the favorite at minus one thirty five. Kansas has cut their odds in half. They are still plus five hundred, but that is now second. In the Big 12, there on those odds on yeah. uh, draft. Yeah, and, like, and like you alluded to, I think that's, that's more schedule. of a reflection of the schedule than anything else, right? Yeah, we were looking at Houston's schedule earlier, and it's a little tougher to find the yeah, losses it's, than it's, KU's is. It's kind of hard to talk yourself into them losing, right. yeah. It is, it's versus Oklahoma State at Cincinnati versus Texas versus Iowa State at Baylor versus Cincinnati at Oklahoma at UCF versus Kansas. I could see them losing a couple of those, but it's hard to see them losing more than Maybe three, probably two. So that, that's probably yeah. where, where things uh, come into play there. But, yeah, bottom line, you can win the Big 12. You can win the national title. Yep. And this was both keeping alive the opportunity for the first of those while showing you proof of concept in the second of those. Yeah, huge W, obviously. But to your point, you're now you're in position coming into tonight against Kansas State where – you can you could throw that you could throw all that away if you lose tonight with Kansas State or it would feel that way I think a little bit so you definitely want to keep that going tonight. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a timeout. Pearson Collision Hit of the Week next. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. You're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We will have your KU men's basketball game tonight against Kansas State, eight o'clock pregame, six thirty on KLWN and 105.9 KISS, and we will preview that game coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, more Houston recap and some other stuff in the first couple hours of the show. Our KU Hit of the Week is brought to you by Pearson Collision. Just like you, Pearson Collision loves to celebrate a great hit in KU football, but in your car, not so much. Quality work, every job, Pearson Collision in Lawrence. Our Hit of the Week, some options here. Some good ones, I think. I think so, for sure. K, uh, KJ Adams dunked and hit the rim on a baseline cut. It was a good pass from Kevin. That was early in the game to go up 23-11. to 11. Yep. So that was a big play. Uh, Kevin hit the ball on a Houston pass, collected it, and then hit the rim with that two-handed dunk that you kind of mentioned earlier was the yep. awkward landing. But that made it 30-15. to 15. I think there was a Houston timeout right after that. Yeah. Kevin hit Furphy on a cut to the rim. Furphy got ran under and, like, fell on his back. Oh. Hit his back, made the layup. They called a foul and one. He missed the free throw, but still, it made it 35-21. What about the uh, Furphy transition one-handed dunk? I think that one in there, too. He hit the the rim. It was uh, K.J. Adams grabbed the rebound, started to go, yep. fed Furphy in transition from the right wing, and came up and, and had that one-handed dunk. That was actually the, the next score for KU. made it 37-21. Mm. They also hit a myriad of, of corner threes. Yeah, yeah, and Furphy hit hits. a couple of big threes as well. Furphy, Parker uh, Brown. Kevin hit one or two. Dewan hit one. You don't want. I mean, you don't want to give the hit of the week to Parker Brown for hitting a three, do you? No, I think honestly that might have. Or we're going to do play of the game later. That might have more play of the game potential. True. Than, than yeah. hit of the week. For me, what do you I think this one comes down to two. Okay, let's hear it. Actually, three. <laughs> Actually, no, I'm just joking. Three. Um, <laughs> I think the Kevin one because he hit the ball, 
yep. and hit the rim on the dunk. Yep. And that was a big momentum play early in the game. Kevin McCuller hitting Johnny Furphy on the cut. Then he literally got rear-ended. He got run under. <laughs> and he made the layup anyway. So he gets hit yes. while hitting the layup. He basically, and then he hits the floor. The equivalent of he got rear-ended, but whatever he did was good enough to avoid rear-ending the car in front of him. Mm, he saved it, you know? Okay. Yeah. And then the last one would be the KJ rebound that led to the Furphy one-handed dunk, because that was cool. I do, though, cool, yeah. the Furphy one-handed dunk, because you, you said you were at the game. I was at the game as well. Yeah. And live in person, it was amazing. Agreed. Replay, yes. I thought, no, wasn't agree. as cool. It didn't look nearly Not as cool. Not that it wasn't cool, but it wasn't nearly as cool. No, 100% agree. In slow-mo in yeah. slow on the replay, it, it looked didn't get up as much as way lame. Yes. <laughs> but live, it was awesome. So I almost want to eliminate that one. <laughs> Uh, I'm fine with that, actually. Because okay. I agree. I actually had the same thought. I was like, wait a minute. This guy didn't even... <laughs> like, okay, sweet, yeah. but it wasn't... Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, which one are you going to go with? The Kevin one or the Furphy one? I really... I mean, I think the Kevin play, to me, is such a significant play. Uh, he, you know, deflects it, and it's such a momentous play in the game because it, the crowd absolutely... I mean, that was that was maybe the loudest the crowd got all game, to be honest, really, for a while, was that play... Kevin coming off the injury, making that play adds to it. I, I like I like uh, Kevin's run out and dunk. I'm cool doing that as well. When you also factor in Houston only had three turnovers, and that was one of them. <laughs> yeah. So let's just do that one. Uh, Kevin McCuller gets another one on there the board. We go. Yeah. That makes our leaderboard. KJ Adams has three. Kevin McCuller has two. El Marco, Timberlake, Ernest Uday, and uh, Wilder Evers all have one. <laughs> I keep forgetting about Ernest Uday. I know. Poor guy. Why did we give him one? <laughs> Uh, it was for hitting Hunter Dickinson in the face. Well, I know. I, I know. I'm saying I, we. I know we gave it to him. That's why. But like, why should did we he... have given it to Hunter for taking the hit? I, I don't know. It's just. It's just going to be funny every all year long. It's going to be like and <laughs> one for Ernest Uday. Well, there was that one we had in football, which was the uh, Jalen yeah, Catalan one, where he hit Daniel Highshaw. <laughs> no, we hit Jason Bean. Or yeah, Jason Bean, and then and Highshaw, Highshaw picked, picked it up, up. for a touchdown. <laughs> so I yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's always room for just like one opposing player. Pearson Collision knows accidents happen, understands the stress and pressure. Pearson embodies trusted experience, meticulous repair, and they work with your insurance, whatever your insurance is. Pearson Collision Repair, 7th in Connecticut and Lawrence. And if you're looking for a job, Pearson is always looking to add to their team of artists. A rewarding career with awesome pay, paid holidays, and weekends off. Pearson Collision Repair strives to hire only the best and want you to apply. If you're committed to excellence, want career growth, come join the award-winning team. You can go to Pearson Collision Repair page on Facebook and apply. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. More uh, KU basketball content on the other side. We got some audio. Also, some big news for the Kansas City Royals, who gave out the largest contract they've ever given out. We'll discuss all that on the other side with RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, and despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind, and they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Aletha. KU basketball takeaways and heroes and villains coming up in our next segment. After that, we'll switch gears from the Houston game and get to the K-State preview with the Jayhawks taking on the Wildcats tonight. 6.30 pregame, 8 o'clock tip-off. Uh, before we get to that, some news from over the weekend. Obviously, Jordan Peterson, who was the KU defensive backs coach and co-defensive coordinator, left for his alma mater to go to Texas A&M. And that's led to a lot of questions of, 
Are any players going to eventually transfer out, or what is that going to have effect on current and future recruiting? So far, KU seems to have handled some of those hurdles pretty well, and they have now officially, well, I guess not officially. We haven't heard officially from KU, but there are reports from Bruce Feldman. There are reports from like Yahoo Sports that this is happening. The KU football has hired a new defensive backs coach, and that would be in the case of DK McDonald. Now, why is KU not officially announced it? Well, it could just be as simple as, uh, maybe he hasn't arrived yet. Maybe he hasn't officially signed the contract. Maybe they're yeah. working out, you know, some of the, I don't know, bonuses or some of the little things that go into a contract. Who knows? But based on those reports and, and those sources, I, I feel pretty good that, that this would be happening. Um, so he's going to be serving as the new DB's coach. Now, I do believe Brian Borland technically is like the safeties coach. So he would more so be working with the corners. Um, he's yeah. he's a bit of a younger coach. Well, and I believe uh, he's going to be taking over co-DC role also. He is. He, yes, yeah. he will be the co-defense coordinator. And I think the importance of this is that. So DK McDonald is 45 years old. And as much as KU was giving Jordan Peterson the promotion to co-defensive coordinator for a title increase, probably a monetary increase, um, and to try to get him to stick around, I think just as important as that was to find the next guy, right? I mean, yeah. think about it this way. Brian Borland is... I think he's older than Lance, right? Um... Yeah, I want to say he's in his mid sixties. That sounds right, maybe early sixties, something like that. Um, and so, if you think about it, who knows? I, maybe Brian Borland wants to coach for another 10, 15 years. Yeah, you never know with guys, right? I, I so. mean, yeah. Bill Belichickson is like mid seventies, right? But he doesn't have a job. He doesn't have a job. That's correct. <laughs> his son just got a job as the Washington DC. So uh, maybe KU hired the wrong. Maybe they should have gone after Bill Belichick to be the DBs coach. But mm, in all seriousness, that would have been wild. Um. Who knows how long he wants to be the guy, so realistically, you want somebody who can be groomed to be the next defensive coordinator, if that's the case as well. And with McDonald, he's only 45 years old, so you get a bit of a younger coach. Uh, he can serve as both those things. As far as his resume, his, his where he was last at, he was uh, with Iowa State for five seasons, yep. where he worked with corners, and then later he worked with the safeties. He was uh, then with the Philadelphia Eagles, where he was the assistant defensive back coach in 2021 and 2022. Then he was the head defensive back coach in 2023. Obviously, the Eagles brought on Vic Fangio this past offseason, new defensive coordinator. So Probably I'd imagine if you're change of staff, exactly yeah. if you're him, you're like, okay, there might be a strange change of staff coming. I'll go elsewhere. Uh, as far as with the Eagles, 2022, they had one of the best defensive back rooms in the NFL. This past year, it was a bad defensive back room. <laughs> I I think. I don't know. There's a little less that you, you look at that in the NFL than yeah, like in you college. You can definitely overreact to that and be like, whoa, right. oh, no, this guy coached a DB room that was terrible. You can pump the brakes on Yeah, that. and the year before, they were good. Um, yeah. At Iowa State, that's what I more look to, yeah, right, because sure. he's going to the college game, and you're going yeah. into the Big 12, which is where they were. And by all accounts, by every person I've, I've seen who like covers the program and everything, he seems to have been thought of very highly by Matt Campbell and that staff there. And Iowa State has been a program since Matt Campbell has taken over that has done a lot with less, right? That's been a team who, yeah, maybe they're not winning 10 games every year, but they're winning six, seven, eight games every year in a difficult job that prior to Matt Campbell was winning two, three games every year, you know? So um, the fact that he was thought of well, and when you think of Iowa State's defense specifically, like that's been one of the better units in the Big 12, and they play that kind of 3-3-5, 3-2-6, like a 3-2-5, whatever uh, type of defense that – uh, multiple defense that is tough for other teams. I think this will be good for KU because they can start adding some of that into their playbook too. You maybe have a future guy. Yep. You have a younger coach who will come in and, and you would imagine be able to relate with a lot of the players. So like, I, I think there's a lot of good parts about this hire that it seems to be a, a very good addition for KU. Yeah, well, think about it. He's he's a guy who's going to be familiar with the Big 12 and probably familiar with Big 12 recruiting because mm-hmm. of the fact that he was at Iowa State. 
He has to be able to say, hey, I know what it takes to get to the NFL. Yeah. As I say, he has college and professional experience at the NFL level. So, uh, that you know, that's a big bonus as well. And knowing the Big 12 and, and knowing that recruiting. Because I think, really, when, when you think about Jordan Peterson, and obviously he was a great defensive backs coach as well, but in the last year, in the last 18 months, really the big thing for for KU and the reason why he was such a kind of a big loss is was his recruiting ability, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's one of the guys that went out and sort of hand-built a pipeline to Arizona in a lot of ways. He was kind of on the forefront of that. And so that's what you really lose. But by bringing in a guy like this who, again, knows the Big 12, I'm sure knows Big 12 recruiting uh, and has some connections and, and, and knows what it takes to be able to get guys in the Big 12, that you kind of check that box a little bit and say, okay, you should be able to, to help to help manage that. So it's certainly, I think, a pretty strong hire, right? He's a young guy, like you mentioned, already has college and professional experience, knows the Big 12. Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. And, and you know, anytime this KU staff hires somebody externally, it always kind of piques my interest because Lance Leipold is such a process-driven guy. He's such a sort of continuity-driven guy when it comes to what he likes and how he likes everybody in his staff, you know. And so uh, it always kind of, I'm always interested to see what the connections are or if there's any similarities in terms of what intangibles Lance Leipold looks for when bringing in external guys because it's clear that he he likes what he has internally and he likes to, to kind of promote from within in a lot of cases. Uh, so, you know, you, you go back to like the Jeff, the Jeff Grimes hire and now this hire. Two guys that seem pretty experienced, two guys that have had success at varying uh, to varying degrees at various levels and, and guys that you, you feel pretty good about. So, I do think this hire checks a lot of boxes for KU if you're looking at it one-to-one compared to what they lost with Jordan Peterson. It d- does check some boxes there that should be beneficial for Kansas going forward. Uh, and obviously, you just hope that he can come in and and, and uh, you know work with the guys that you have, guys like Kobe Bryant, Melo Dotson, and then uh, hopefully continue to, to elevate the talent that KU has coming in and can continue to add to that talent as well via recruiting and or the transfer portal. Yeah, and when you look at it, too, with Jordan Peterson, that recruiting factor of him doing a lot of it out of state, here's here's the uh, 24-7 sports uh, guys that he was primary and secondaries on at Iowa State, uh, just the states that they were from. Pennsylvania, Michigan, Minnesota, Colorado, Missouri, St. Louis, if, if you're looking for the area, Michigan, uh, Michigan, Texas, California, Florida, Michigan, Texas, Michigan, Florida, California, Florida, California, 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 Texas, Texas, Florida, uh, Missouri, Arizona, Maryland, Florida, Florida, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Virginia, Utah. You heard a lot of Texas. You heard a lot of Florida. You heard a lot of California. You heard uh, some Michigan in there. Yeah, you heard a lot of out of state, obviously, right. right? Which I think is what Jordan Peterson was doing a lot of was a lot of out of state work as well. So. I think that'll be a good thing for KU to, to continue to have kind of pipelines yeah. elsewhere. Also, it's a Michigan in there. KU obviously has already been developing and right. has developed a, a you know pretty strong connection to Michigan, so you add to that as well. Mm-hmm. All right, we also uh, want to talk a little KU women's basketball here. We, we mentioned that um, this was a big one because uh, playing you know their, their second of five straight against teams below 500 in Big 12 play, TCU is kind of the one team who – you don't know if you value that the same because a couple of those losses were forfeit losses. Yeah, they had some they had some injuries. They had actually literally didn't have enough players they had to forfeit two they had, games. They had to have a couple uh, volleyball players walk on to play. Uh, so yeah, kind of a weird situation with them. But obviously, a team that historically has been one of the worst in the Big Twelve. Uh, and but listen, just like on the men's side, when you go on the road, it's not easy to win. No, it's so. not. 
and that's exactly what they did. 81-74, to Kansas comes out on top. So their second straight win. They're inching closer to 500 in Big 12 play. They're above 500 at 12 and 10. We, we've said all along, you got to win these these this five-game stretch. They're 2-0 in it so far. Yep. Three to go, get to 15 and 10, and then you reevaluate for your final four push and the Big 12 tournament of if you can make it to uh, the NCAA tournament. But uh, it was uh, another game where Kansas kind of dominated inside. Again, the defense came to play. Uh, a little. I, I mean, this was honestly more about the offense than probably the defense. But the rebounding battle. You won thirty six to twenty five on the glass in this game. You uh, shot fifty four percent on twos. You outscored them in the paint forty two to twenty two. It was another big game for Tiana Jackson, who wound up with twenty points, nine rebounds, three blocks. She was eight of eleven from the floor. And beyond that, uh, Sky Franklin had ten point six assists. Samaya Nichols. I mean, yeah, unbelievable freshman season that she's having. Twenty two points, five rebounds. And uh, four steals in the game. She was 8 of 15 from the floor. Yep. And then how about Holly Kurskeeter? We didn't know yep. how long she was going to be out with the injury. She comes back after the game off. She had zero points in her last two games, which clearly you look back on and you're like, okay, she was probably playing through the injury. Gets the rest up earlier this week, earlier last week. And her first game back, 16 points. Looks more rejuvenated. They're going to yep. need that continuously down the stretch. Yeah, 16 points. Four of eight from three. 38 minutes, by the yeah. way. So clearly, you know, you feel a lot better about whatever her status was. Similarly to Kevin, right? Kevin t- has misses a game. He played 37 minutes for KU against Houston. Holly comes back, plays 38 for KU uh, against TCU. Four of eight from three. That's what you like to see, right? Because her impact, that's where her biggest impact was uh, at the start of conference play, was hitting three-point shots and being effective from the perimeter. So to see her come back from injury and be effective from outside, shooting 50% from three is huge. 16 points as well, and uh, that that perimeter threat that KU really needs, and it's coming from Kirk Skeeter and uh, another great game. Yeah, it really was. So big one for KU. They got to keep it going as uh, with their upcoming schedule. They're going to be taking on Houston, who uh, Houston has not been like the men's team so far for their women's team. It's been a little bit uh, tougher of a road for them. They're 12 and 10 on the year, which is the same as Kansas, but only three and eight in conference play. Then after that, they'll be uh, taking on Cincinnati. Well, the KU women's team, they're 11 and 10 overall, three and seven in conference play. And then they have BYU again, who they already beat once, but uh, this one will be the second time around with them, which I, I guess it can always be more difficult the second time around. And then you get to that Final Four push where uh, things will be very difficult in the Final Four with Baylor, K-State, UCF, and Oklahoma. UCF is the one kind of gimme there. Can you steal one of those three, yeah. win these other three games? That would get you to 17-12 and 12, headed in the Big 12 tournament where you'd probably be needing to win one, maybe two games, maybe two games probably. In the Big 12 tournament, and, and one of them and being maybe can be dancing, quality right? opponent. Probably. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. why probably two, because the first one might be with the expanded Big 12 yeah. against uh, a team who uh, isn't going to do your your resume this this huge solid necessarily. Yeah. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Let's get back to the KU men's basketball talk with their win over Houston. We'll get to our KU basketball takeaways and heroes and villains for the KU Houston game on the other side with RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. 20-5, this is RCST on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Kansas dominates Houston 78-65 to in Allen Fieldhouse on Saturday afternoon. Let's get to our KU basketball takeaways and heroes and villain segment before we shift gears and start previewing tonight's game with Kansas State on the ledger, which you can hear right here on KLWN and our sister station 105.9 KISS. Pre-game 6.30, tip-off at 8 o'clock. Let's start with the biggest positives of the game for KU's win over Houston. Uh, man, there's a couple things that jump out immediately. Uh, number one is your efficiency, right? I mean, you shot 70%. Uh, 
just under 70% from the floor. That's ridiculous. <laughs> the number one defense in the country. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Uh, KU was fantastic. They were cutting, making great passes, making great reads, and uh, they were hitting all their shots, right? Uh, just phenomenal, phenomenal effort from KU uh, efficiency-wise. That's a big part of why you won the game, right? I mean, when you shoot the listen, when you shoot the ball that well, you're probably not going to lose very many games. I mean, very, very impressive stuff from KU. And then uh, I, rebounding, to me, I think was probably the biggest positive out of the game. Coming into the game, we talked about it. Houston was top 10 in the country in offensive rebounding, and I did feel like the game maybe hinged on a combination of rebounding plus turnovers. Like, if you if you allow Houston to, to play offense more than 30 seconds at a time by getting offensive rebounds and, you have to, and you're stuck at the defensive end of the floor for 45, 50, 60 seconds, that could really, really drain you and it drained the energy from the arena as well at Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, but Kansas did a phenomenal job on the defensive glass, especially in the first half. It was outstanding. I mean, Houston ended up with, I think, uh, what, 13 offensive rebounds in the game, but mm-hmm. you, you pointed this out uh, when off the air that they also shot the ball like 25 more times than Kansas did, right? So they had more opportunities. Yeah, so that's rebounds. that's the importance of the difference between total rebounds and yeah. rebound rate. So, for instance, even though they had 13 offensive rebounds and you only had six, and on paper you'd be like, oh, they you know were better on the, the glass. Actually, no, because KU just didn't miss as many shots. Kansas grabbed 35% of their misses. So their offensive rebound rate was 35.3%. Houston's was 27.7%. So you actually grabbed a higher percentage of the ones that were there. And Kansas coming into this game was basically allowing opponents on average to be at about 27% offensive rebound rate, which means you turned a team who came in as one of the best offensive rebound teams yeah. in the country I mean, that's one of their to just strength. an average game for yeah. you on the defensive glass. Yeah. Yeah, so a really fantastic job from KU rebounding in the in the first half. And again, when you go one and done consistently over and over and over again, that's so frustrating. And, I, I mean, I would I would believe that it could possibly negatively affect your defense as well, right, because you're getting frustrated on the offensive end. And that's kind of what happened Kansas. Not only were they making Houston go one and done on, on the defensive end with the rebounds, they were turning that into opportunities on the offensive end to score and, and really flustered Houston and really got on them quick. So the rebounding I thought was fantastic. And then uh, kind of hand-in-hand with the efficiency discussion is KU, this is maybe one of my favorite tests of the whole game, every other player that played besides Hunter Dickinson, so your entire bench, El Marco, even like Jamari McDowell, Parker Brown, Nick Timberlake, everybody besides Hunter Dickinson missed only one shot per player. Kevin was 7 for 8. KJ was, I think, 6 for 7. Dewan only missed one shot. Like I said, the entire bench only missed one shot. Hunter was the only guy on the team that missed more than one shot in the game. He was 9 of 15. Furphy, 6 of 7. KJ, 4 of 5. Dewan Harris, 3 of 4. You go to the bench, Parker Brown, 1 of 2. El Marco Jackson, 1 of 2. Timberlake was 0 for the one shot he missed. So, I mean, Jamari and Nick Timberlake, they, while they didn't score, they only missed one shot. So, every other player only missed one shot on the team besides Hunter Dickinson in the game. So, that's incredible. And then, you know, we I want to circle back to this conversation we've had a couple times about three-point shooting with KU. In the sense of, you know, we were talking in the offseason about, well, can, how's K, what's, the, what's the math for KU getting to 23-point attempts per game or more than 23-point attempts per game? Well, obviously, that's not going to be the case anymore. This is not a team that's really built to shoot that many threes. But the difference is, even if you're shooting only 14, 15 threes per game, if you're efficient with, when you, with those three-point shots, then it doesn't matter, yep. right? And that's what happened in this game for KU. For KU, they only shot the ball from three, what, 13 times? Yeah, yep. 13 three-point attempts. 
They made six of them. That's almost yeah. 50%, right? Because so it's it, the so, idea you're enough of a threat from the outside that if you're open, you take yeah. advantage, and if they give too much effort on the outside, then you pound them inside, which is which your is biggest where strength. Yeah, which is where your strength is. Yeah, so that was great to see, right? And three from Furphy, three threes from Furphy in the game. Uh, Kevin made one, Dewan hit his one, and then, of course, you know Parker Brown. <laughs> okay, sweet. Uh, so, yeah, the three-point efficiency, I think, was, was really big for KU in this game as well. Uh, so that kind of ties into their overall efficiency in the game, uh, which really drove them in this game. But yeah, uh, besides that, rebounding was by far the biggest positive, I thought. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a good one to have. I-, I would say just in general, the result of the win um, and-, and how much you won by it. Uh, obviously, the result of the win, uh, I said kind of coming in, if you lose this game, the Big 12 title, probably not in the cards. And-, and I had been saying that, okay, well, even if that does happen, like I still think you can be a good NCAA tournament team without winning the Big 12. And I, I do maintain that, but... Why not win the Big 12 too, you know, and, and set yourself up even better for the NCAA tournament? And this game allows you to kind of stick in that race in a very real way. Um, beyond that, the way that you won shows that not only can you beat any team in the country, but you can beat any team in the country because Houston's still the number one team on Ken Palm by a good margin. Like, like this shows your A-plus game, basically. Yeah. And even then, I don't even know. It might be an A or an A-minus game because of the turnovers. Nick, but Nick Palm, yeah. by the way, does not have Houston number one anymore. Who do you have number one? Nick Baum is going to put Purdue number one right Okay. <laughs> Purdue number one. That's Not fine. Houston. That's fine. Uh, which, by the way, I actually, uh, I'll, I'll be interested to see what this is this week. This is more of a, a metric discussion. Evan Miyakawa, who we mention his numbers every so often on, on the show, and we've had on the show before, a really yeah. smart guy, does a lot of good college basketball analytic work. He actually um, is taking to working on, he said this week he's going to update a ranking system that he was like, I am worried that some of the, the metric systems, something we've talked about, Care too much about teams blowing bad teams out yes. and not winning the big games, and he says he's going to make an adjusted metric to that. So yes, I'll I, think, I think there definitely should be. I don't again. I mean, obviously, I'm not a nerd. I don't know the <laughs> the ins and outs of that stuff, but no, I definitely think there should be some sort of metric that that basically measures how you play in big games, and you know, however you want to define big games, mm-hmm. whether it's like you know against a team that is a top twenty or top ten or top fifteen team, or you know in a neutral site game or whatever, like however you want to define big games, there should be a metric for that. Because if there was, which guess what? Nick Palm just created it. They got it. Nick Palm says that KU's one of the best in big games, right? They've been the best. You look at their big games they played this season, they played in a really high level outside of the Marquette game, right? You look at Tennessee, they showed up. You look at Kentucky, they showed up. UConn, they showed up. Pierce Houston, they showed up. In big games, Nick Palm says that KU's one of the best. I mean, it's it's been proven with some of the big wins, right? So... I guess that's uh, totally there. Uh, maybe that means KU is more upset prone in the first two rounds this year. But if they can get through the first two rounds, could it be. be good to go. I don't know. Could be that could be Nick, Nick Palm will, will factor that in. Our biggest negative or negatives of the game? Yeah, biggest negative. Uh, we kind of touched on it in the open, but some of the unforced turnovers for KU were were pretty were pretty rough. They end the game with 18 turnovers total. Which going into it, if you would have said KU was going to turn the ball over 18 times, you probably would have thought. Okay, you may not might not win this game. Yeah, no. If, well, I, if I said eighteen to three, and I said that they would be leading, <laughs> uh, whatever it was, twenty to six. Yeah, in, you'd in be really nervous. Turnovers? Yeah, be really sure. nervous. Uh, so the fact that uh, obviously that just again emphasizes and highlights how well they they did play in terms of efficiency on the offensive end. But but yeah, there was a couple, and it wasn't the 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 reason why this is the biggest negative for me is because it wasn't like Houston was making good defensive plays to force turnovers. There was a lot of unforced turnovers, I felt like, from Kansas in this game that you'd like to see them clean up, right? Hunter Dickinson chucks into the third row. Timberlake throws it away at one point. Elmarco had a throw away. Uh, even DeWan had a, had a couple, had a careless 
turnover, I think, in there as well. So just some of the unforced turnovers from KU. And obviously, in a game where you were pretty much comfortably ahead throughout, maybe it's not that as big of a deal. But I can assure you, either tonight or tomorrow, whenever Bill Self talks his team again, he ain't going to be showing them highlights of them dunking. He's going to be showing them highlights of chucking it into the third row yeah. and saying, hey, we got to we gotta, we gotta make sure this, this is better. Uh, for going forward. So that's probably my biggest negative. Uh, on, on a night where there really wasn't very many negatives to be had, that's definitely the one that jumps out the most. Yeah, it really is. And and to your point on how many were unforced, well, I mean, this isn't the exact number, but Houston, of the 18 turnovers, they had eight steals. Typically, when you see a team of 18 turnovers, it might be 12, 13, 14, even 15 And steals. obviously, that's what Houston had been really good at coming right. in. So that tells you that 10 of them were non-steals. Now, Sometimes there are turnovers that don't get classified as steals that are pressure-related. Like, if yeah. you get doubled in the corner and then throw it out of bounds, yeah. that's not a steal, but it is pressure-related. But yes, how many did KU just throw away out of bounds? Probably somewhere between five to eight. So yeah, I mean, I would say easily half dozen. Yeah, it's it's a lot in, in what they did. So yeah, I would agree that that would be uh, probably the biggest negative from the game for, for KU as well. What is the biggest neutral of the game? Yeah, uh, I was thinking free-throw shooting was probably a neutral... I mean, Houston shoots 10, you shoot 15, but you only shot 10 of 15, 66%. Houston goes 60%. They were 6 of 10, so they weren't very good either. That's maybe a neutral, I guess. Uh, and I, I know you kind of talked about the bench. I yeah, guess you could say the bench. Go. Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah. Because there were ups and downs. There were the moments where, I mean, that, that moment where, and honestly, maybe it was more of a negative than a positive, but if I was if I was grading that, okay, for instance, if I was grading them on a raw score, the bench might get a C- minus in this game. Yeah, or maybe a D plus. C, yeah, but when you grade them on a curve for what the bench has mm. been, and you know we love curves, we do. That, curves that, are great. That maybe bumps them up to a C plus or a B minus. You know, so I think Wait, dude, there neutral. were some classes at KU where I needed the curve. Otherwise, <laughs> it would have been not great. I remember I took a, a like one hundred four biology class or something, which you would think you know entry level biology class. Would be turns difficult. out it was like the head of the biology department taught the class, and he wanted to get really into like flower plant biology, right and all the tests everybody would get like a sixty. What? If you were like doing well, and then you get a hundred if you got like a sixty, because that's how. <laughs> and it was like, why is this a one hundred level class? Anyway, um, the bench. El Marco had the one nice offensive rebound with a nice little putback. Yep. He had the nice assist on the uh, the pass to KJ Adams with throwdown dunk. You had uh, the Parker Brown three point shot. You had the Parker Brown trip to the free throw line. Parker Brown ended up with three rebounds in eight minutes. That's solid. Um, but you also had the. Nick Timberlake throw out of bounds. You had the Marco Jackson back-to-back turnovers that led to LJ Cryer's threes that kind of got them back into the game. So, yeah, I think that would be the biggest neutral of the game for me. Okay. What is your play of the game? There's a lot of good plays of the game to come up with this one. A lot of good dunks from Kansas that really got the crowd going. Um, you look at, like, the El Marco to KJ Alley, which you alluded to. That was in the second half. Obviously, the Kevin dunk uh, when he had the, the, the runaway dunk yeah. that he almost hurt himself on it looked like that I was really concerned about. Uh, you had a couple furfy dunks in there as well. Uh, so some big-time plays from KU. A couple threes as well. Parker Brown's three late in the game. That was pretty critical. Uh, and even, you think about it, so, you know, they cut it to 10, like you said, and then Parker Brown gets fouled, and he makes two free throws. Mm -hmm. That really, really helped Kansas as well. So a lot of good plays to choose from in this one. Yeah, I would also throw in there, um, I mean, honestly, you could pick, like, any of the made threes by Furphy. Um, there were a couple big plays that I thought, helped at moments of momentum. So the first one was to start the second half. KU was up by so much to start the second half, but it's important when you are up by so much when you start a half 
like make a play early in that half to to continue that momentum you carried over basically yeah. right and the first like KU offensive possession they go to Kevin McCuller who hits kind of a contested mid-range jump shot that was important for KU to show that the other big one was it was after the El Marco Jackson two turnovers he had the two turnovers that led to two threes by LJ Cryer all of a sudden it's 60 to 48 with, I don't know, 12 minutes left, 10 minutes left, yeah. 8 minutes left? Like less, I, I don't even remember, that. to be honest. Yeah, I think less than that. It's, it might have been 8 minutes left, 7 and a half or something like that. Either way, it was a 12-point game. They have momentum, and it's starting to be like, okay, are they going to make this game down the stretch? Dewan Harris works around a... I, I, he could have taken the three. It would have been a pretty good look, actually. He decided not to, and he ended up dribbling himself into what was a tough shot, but he ended up making it. It was a like little floater from the right elbow. He knocked it down. And that has always been the biggest thing with Dewan. It's you don't have to go out and score 15 points. It's can you make a shot when you need the team when when the team needs you to make a shot, or can you go look for a shot and be aggressive when when you need to? And he did there, and that was a big shot to expand it back to 14 after they had a bit of the momentum after that. Um, I do think you could you could almost say like differentiate with plays of the game versus the exclamation point of the game because those were plays like the Parker Brown three might have been the exclamation point. It puts you up 15 with six to go. And that kind of broke the camel's back. There was also the the last two buckets he had where it was KJ yeah, Adams yeah. passed to Kevin through traffic and he had a reverse layup to go up 13 with like a minute left. And then the Kevin dunk. The Kevin put back dump, dunk, dunk that that was obviously an exclamation point. So yeah, That's I, probably, I think the, that's probably the play of the game, honestly. The put yeah. back dunk to kind of seal it. I would put that as the exclamation point for sure. Uh, and then uh, let's get to our hero side of it. Offensive heroes, who sticks out? Offensive heroes passing the ball. Mm. That's my first offensive hero. Passing the ball was great. Except for uh, out of bounds. Except for out of bounds a few times. But in the first half especially, again, the ball was moving quicker than the defense. Uh, I thought it was great. Hunter was great uh, in terms of passing out of double teams. We talked about it on Friday. I, I feel confident, and I continue to feel very confident, that when you have a team that likes to pr- play a lot of pressure defense and likes to fly around quickly, having a guy like Hunter Dickinson where you just get him the ball, and it it whenever wherever he touches the ball, he's like a he's like a black hole of gravity. Where when he gets the ball, defenders just get sucked to him, mm-hmm. and I feel so confident that he's going to be able to make the right pass. And when you pair that with Johnny Furphy, who can hit threes on the outside and everything else, I, I really, really thought that Hunter was really great in this game from in that perspective. If as soon as he touches the ball in the high post, again, he's like he's like his own. He's got his own gravitational field. People are just defenders will just they are drawn to him when he gets the ball in the high post and in players in areas like that. And I feel I have a very, very high level of confidence in him that he can make the right play a lot of times out of that spot. And I thought that was great, especially early in the game. Yeah, I mean, just the passing out of the doubles and the slingshot passes that that Hunter was throwing when he was doubled from one side of the court to the complete other side corner that yeah. either led to that player shooting it or him passing to somebody else who would shoot it or lead to like a, a, a straight line drive to the rim or something. It was very impressive what they were able to do because of that. Um, yeah, man, uh, Hunter gets up there. Johnny Furphy gets up there for what he did. Uh I think KJ Adams. I mean, seven yeah. assists. He led KU in assists in the game, right? Kevin gets up there too. Like it, it was. Yeah, you got to shout out Kevin McCuller, right? Yeah. Coming off the injury. I mean, this is a guy who to start the season was playing at at, at his highest level. Mm-hmm. And if there was a time where you would maybe think, oh no, he could get thrown off rhythm and slow down a little bit, it probably would be right now, right? Coming sure. off of an injury, missing a game. Like, what's he going to look like? And boy, did he look good! And then I, I mean, when you're looking at the three point shooting, you would have taken six of thirteen. I think. Coming into the game, but yeah. specifically, it's the corner threes. They were four of four 
on corner threes in the game per CBB analyst. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think most games for Kansas, yeah. you would take going 6 of 14, 6 of 13. Even though it's low volume. Yes. You feel like you it does point. enough yeah. that it's it's efficient enough that you're going to be it's going to open you up other opportunities to to score in other ways that that KU has excelled at this season. What about defensive heroes? Uh t- you know, we talked about Dewan Harris matching up against Jamal Shedd. Kevin actually was on him quite yeah. a bit. But just the combo of those guys shutting down Jamal Shedd. Two and really, of nine, and he was one of eight till under a minute ago. Yeah, yeah, and obviously zero rebounds. He did he did end up getting nine assists mm-hmm. in the game, uh, but and a lot of those were to LJ Cryer just making ridiculous threes. But so yeah, the the defensive heroes, the combo of those two guys, and then I talked about it with the with the biggest positives. But the defensive rebounding as well as a whole also would be uh, my hero. Yeah, that would be a good one. Um, KU didn't have many steals; they only had two of them. They only forced three turnovers, so it's hard to pick something off. Off that specifically, yeah. um, I'm trying to think. Let's see, Houston uh, at the rim only shot 53.8 percent, and in the paint they only shot five of 15. So I mean, collectively in the free throw line box, they were just 12 of 28, and on two point shots overall they were 16 of 40, only 40 percent. So I mean, KU's interior defense, yep. uh, I guess KJ Hunter, right? Yep, that would go to line. Um, other heroes of the game, Bill Self pumping up the crowd. Uh, down the stretcher. That was pretty awesome, right? <laughs> you know, it's always a big moment or game when he throws the two hands up. Yeah, too, yeah. when you got did. the fist pumps or when you got him pumping up the crowd like that, uh, that you know, it's pretty special, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it means a lot to him, uh, which was great to see. So, and, and you know, that's great when you see a, a coach show, show, I guess, respect for lack of a better term, but show respect for the crowd and, and what they did and what they brought to the game as well, uh, as well as the team on the floor. So, Parker Brown, <laughs> other hero. Play eight minutes. It's hard to give him like an offense yeah, I mean, defense. Yeah, field, five points, three rebounds. Hits the big three. Yeah, I'm still mad though. Honestly, about that. About that <laughs> okay. play. The one for the process. Shoot. Uh, what about the ball? What about there was a guy who was uh, had to get on a very high ladder to yeah, fix yeah, yeah, the yeah. camera yep. above one of the baskets yep. before the game. Yep. Uh, people probably didn't see that on the TV broadcast. It was a few but, minutes yeah, before there was the game a, started. Yeah. Yeah. Right before the game started, there was a guy. They had like a 15 foot ladder. It was pretty scary. Actually. Yeah. I, I was really nervous for for my guy, <laughs> uh, but he climbed the ladder well. And he handled the pressure well. And, yeah, I originally thought there was maybe something wrong with the shot clock or something mm-hmm. that he was adjusting. But I think nice it was a camera, camera uh, above that. Uh, but, yeah, shout out to that guy because, dude, I'm terrified of heights. Ain't no way I was going up that ladder. I mean, that that was wa- it was wobbling. It was scary. No thank you. But, yeah, hero. And real quick, the villains. I mean, L.J. Cryer has L.J. Cryer, obviously. Yeah, L.J. Cryer. Get a million shots. Timeouts late from Kelvin Yeah, Sampson. Kelvin Sampson calling two timeouts in the final minute and one with 31 seconds. It was a 13-point <laughs> game. Well, what are we doing here? Uh, what about KU fans? Uh, KU fans, uh, or, or the KU students, I should say, for yeah. chanting overrated. Yeah, I wasn't really a huge fan of that either. I mean, I just think that we already have a chant we're supposed to do when we're winning. The right. rock chalk chant. So just do that. Uh, but you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I think, and it also was, it is just inherently a dumb chant because you're yeah. devaluing your own. Well, win. I think it was kind of a reaction to sell, to Samson calling the timeouts. I think they got mad mm. that he was calling the timeouts and they started chanting that. Uh, but yeah, just just do rock chalk chant, man. I mean, we we already have a chant in place that we yeah. can do. I thought that was uh, kind of lame. Then again, I right. don't want to be the person who tells eighteen to twenty two year olds what to do. So I, yeah. I guess whatever. I guess live your life. Yeah. All right, that's our KU Heroes and Villains and Basketball Takeaways. Let's preview the KUK State game coming up next. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and we have KUK State tonight. Pre-game 6.30, tip-off at 8 o'clock between the Jayhawks and the Wildcats. All right, Rock Chalk Pickahawk, uh, quick recap from the Houston game. I got 14 points from Hunter Dickinson 
two from KJ Adams, negative one from Nick Timberlake, and negative two from Jamari McDowell. So I ended up with 13 points. Nick had two from Johnny Furphy, six from Kevin McCuller, five from Parker Brown. So all of a sudden we're tied 13 all. Let's go. And then his last pick with Dewan Harris, who had negative seven. Oh, no. So I won 13 <laughs> to negative four. Brutal. I am now 15 or 16 and nine. Excuse me. Nick is now nine and 16. Brutality. You do have the first pick tonight, though. Uh, yeah, Hunter Dickinson, for sure. Yeah. No hesitation. No hesitation there. All right, well, Dickinson then I'm going to go with uh, the two wings. Kevin and Furphy? Kevin and Furphy because K-State does give him a, uh, give out a decent amount of corner threes. Yeah. Those are KU's two leading corner three-point shooters. Furphy obviously has been playing amazing. McCuller looked good even coming off the injury on Saturday against Houston. Uh, yeah. Give me Kevin McCuller. Yeah, I mean – Obviously, I hope Kevin McCuller is able to go and play at the same level he played at against against Houston. I, I just wonder though about his durability in a game like this. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't yeah. know. You know, the, he seemed fine, obviously, right in the in the game against Houston. But a quick turnaround like this does concern me a little bit. Uh, but uh, hopefully, he can go and play at a high level. I'm gonna go with uh, KJ Adams for my next pick, and uh, then I'm gonna go with. Parker Brown. I don't like that you're doing downtown this. Downtown Parker st- Brown. He is downtown <laughs> Parker Brown. Now. Downtown Parker Brown, baby. Come on. He officially is earned. Even though that I'm nickname. mad that he did that, but yeah. Well, it's, it's like, yeah, it's the process, I, I'm not really mad know? at him. I'm mad at DeWan. Yeah. Actually, sure. Okay. Well, that spoils me. I was, I was going to take Parker Brown. Um, I'm sure you were. That you sucks. know what? Screw it. I, I talk about the corner threes. You know who else shoots corner threes? Oh, boy. Nikki. Timber shoot. I don't know. You know who else breaks corner threes? <laughs> I mean, Nikki. Yes. Nikki Timberlake. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. All right, we're going to Nick listen, Timberlake. Uh, listen, I'm a, I'm a fan. I like Nick Timberlake. I'm, I'm a fan of him. The but, same name. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. We got to stand up for each other, you know? All right, so do I go to one? Do I go? What else do we got? Jamari McDowell. And Ma- uh, El Marco Jackson. El Marco Jackson. I'm going to go Jamari McDowell. Okay. Now it is the risk because we do have the the rule where if yeah. the player so it, play, so it's minus what what it's what minus we agree is the lowest. Okay, got, yeah, right, right. minus right. Yeah, 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 but yeah, yeah. at minimum so it's like, minus five. It would have been Dewan Harris minus seventeen. Yeah, that would have been bad. <laughs> Imagine if you had both on the same team, right? Uh, but at minimum, it's a minus five. So hypothetically, if the lowest is negative two, he would still get a minus five. Yes, right? correct. If he doesn't play, yes. But yes. anyway, you have the last pick. Oh man, I mean, listen, I Dewan was my last pick against Houston, and he burned me badly. I'm gonna go with Marco Jackson. I don't feel good about it, but I don't feel good about it. But it's just I got burned last time. All right, all right. So that's our pick. Hawk. You have Dickinson, Adams, Brown, Jackson. I have McCuller, Furphy, Timberlake, McDowell. Excuse me. That's downtown Parker Brown to you. Mm. Action, El Marco Jackson. <laughs> all right. Our KU basketball game picks. You are thirty twenty nine and one. So you you need to. Yeah, I, I'm not good. You stay above 500. I'm 35, 24, and one. The spread is Kansas minus three and a half. Kansas, give me Kansas. When's the last time you didn't pick Kansas in this? Mm, I didn't pick them against Oklahoma State actually. When they were at Allen, and they did cover, and they did cover. Yeah, I wow. picked Oklahoma State because it was minus you know okay. 17 or whatever. I'm going go with Kansas State. State. It's just the idea. No, I picked of... I, I picked against Kansas multiple times. Okay, I picked against them in Oklahoma State. I picked against them for uh, no. I picked for them against West Virginia <laughs> and against UCF and against Iowa State. I think no, that's fine. Mm, they have not I been a good know. cover the spread team though this year, which clearly because I keep picking them, and that's why I'm at thirty and twenty nine. Right, that's why I asked. 
Okay, I am going to go Kansas State, though. I, I think if Kansas wins, it's going to be one of those games that's down to the wire. Um, the spread was originally four and a half, so I, I might feel better about that. But, yeah, I think if Kansas does win, it's going to be a close one at the very end, one possession game. And for Kansas State, I think they're going to play with their hair on fire because this is a much-needed win for them. Yeah. For Kansas, you catch them on a good moment where you catch them riding high after the Houston win. I think there's a lot I mean, of listen, reasons. Weird stuff happens in rivalry games. It does. I think, this, I think to your point, I think this, this easily could be a game that plays out in that fashion. So. For sure. The uh, over-under is 145. Yeah, that seems a bit high for a team that's as offensively challenged as Kansas State has been at times this season. I'm going to go with the under here. I don't know if maybe they're thinking, well, KU just dominated the best best defense in the country. They're going to keep going. Even still, I'll go under. So, oddly enough, Kansas over-unders are 11-11 and this year. So, there's not, like, one sway or the other. I just think that coming off a performance as as amazing as they were offensively. there's no way they're going to shoot 70% again, right? Like, there's no way. It's just not possible. Kansas State's had a good defense. Uh, I'll take the under also. What is your favorite prop bet? Favorite prop bet here. I'm going to go with uh, Dewan Harris over .53s. Okay. I I think there's a couple that, that we can go with. Uh, let's see. I'm kind of interested by on the other side. I'm not going to take these to be clear by Cam Carter at 14 and a half. He averaged over that for the season. And if you think they're going to shoot well, then, you know, that could be one to look at. Dewan Harris over seven and a half points is intriguing to me because I know he's only averaging a little less than that per game. Road games, he's averaged more. He's averaging 8.2 points per game on the road. Dewan? Yes. Hmm. So he's played better on the road, and that doesn't even include the Champions Classic game against Kentucky, right? Oh, yeah. And so if you added that in with, like, neutral court, it would be up even more. That's a good point, yeah. Hunter Dickinson, 17 and a half. That, I, I don't know. I feel like typically he's at 18 or more, so that would be kind of interesting. Furphy at 12 and a half. He's been playing to that notion, but do you expect a player like Furphy to play worse when it's a road game? Maybe. Potentially. I mean, I'm trying to think the road games uh, in his performances so far this year. The Oklahoma State one, he had 15 in the first half, but that was not a full crowd, and that team stunk. Um, West Virginia had the good first four minutes, and there was a struggle from there. UCF, he had a good first few minutes, but I don't remember he didn't much start from that. UCF. Yeah, but he did have a good first few minutes he did. when he came in. Um, he did. What other road game? What am I missing here? Oklahoma State. Iowa State. Oh, no, not I Oklahoma guess he was State. good at Iowa State. Iowa State, yeah. So it seems like he plays well on the road, so that'd be interesting. Kevin at 18 and a half, that's a lot of points, especially with the injury. KJ at 11 and a half. It's a team who typically defends well in the paint. I don't know, but I kind of like it there. A lot to go with. I'm going to lean with Dewan Harris, though. Dewan Harris over seven. The, the question is, do I take Dewan Harris over the seven and a half points? Okay. Or do I take Dewan Harris over 15 and a half points plus rebounds plus assists? No, I like the seven and a half points. Typically, he only gets one or two rebounds. Yeah, so, so then, then you're, you're relying looking at, on him. Even if he gets the two, him having 14 yeah. points plus assists. Yeah. Which, which is I don't know. He's coming, after, coming off a game where he didn't have very many assists against Houston. Yeah, and I guess if he doesn't end up with over 7.5 points, it's going to be tough for him to get over 15.5 points plus rebounds plus assists anyway. Could be, yeah. Because I guess he could get 10 assists with 6 points, but like in Big 12 play, typically you're seeing around 5, 6, 7 assists per game. So I'm going to go with Dewan Harris over uh, 7.5 points points for Sheesh. the game will uh, be my official. He's going to hit a three for sure. So that's my pick. Well, okay, by the way, I have a bit of a problem what? with you on this. What? Him hitting over .5 threes okay. is minus 195. Yeah, that's because it's a good bet. Can I take Kansas alt line of plus two? No. 
Why? Because it's the same idea. It, what, what, is it plus, is it minus one ninety five on that one too? I don't know. It might be. No, it's not. It's got to be. They're minus one eighty on the money line. Okay, so there you go. If you wanted to take, if you wanted to take Kansas straight up, you could. Kansas plus one and a half. So you're just fine with anything minus two hundred under. You don't think that's a little cowardish? What's cowardish about it? You're not. It's called mean, being smart and knowing what's going to hit and what's not going to hit. As I say with my know, almost right? five hundred record. Yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> Should we do a second prop bet? Dare we do uh, it? Rivalry you, game? If you want to. Do you have a second one? I kind of want to do it because I kind of want to force you to pick something else. Wow. Out of um, fun. Okay, if you want to pick something else, Hunter Dickinson, 17 and a half over. Okay. Let's score, man. I'm surprised you didn't go back to the well with Kevin McCuller. Hunter's going to score. No, because, like I said, I'm not, I mean, I'm all, I'm just a, I'm a tad nervous with, with Kevin about how much is he going to play, you know, all that stuff. Right. Just a tad nervous. Just a, a tiny bit. A little tiny, tiny bit. I'll go Johnny Furphy over 20 and a half points plus rebounds plus assists. So if he puts up 12 points, seven rebounds, two assists, you're there. If he puts up 15 points, six rebounds, he's there on those two alone. Okay. I think that's definitely possible. K-State gives up those corner threes. I think that leads to an opportunity for you know, Johnny to, to maybe score some points here and have some opportunities. The big question is on the road. The one the one thing I'll be interested in is just the road environment in general. We just went over the Johnny for everything. I'm most interested with how that maybe has an impact on Hunter Dickinson. Yeah, he's going to be a villain. He's he, And he's been a villain in the past that has stopped at Michigan and wherever else, right? Yeah. K-State fans are going to love They're going to boo the bleep him. out of him. And I yeah. could see him uh, – like in warm-ups, because if you remember, K-State usually gets there early for the warm-ups when they play KU. Yeah. And oh, they the make a lot of noise. They put up signs and everything, right? Yeah. yeah. And Hunter Dickinson will probably be the target. I could see him oh, for sure. talking back during warm-ups or doing something, right? 100%, yeah. And how does he play off of that? Hunter because, Dickinson Tech, you think, in this game? I don't know. So we, we, we need to yeah, get to the bottom of this. About. We need to get to the bottom of this. Can you get a Tech for taunting the crowd? I, my thing is, I think so. Depending on how egregious it is. <laughs> Depending on what you do. Sadly, if you throw horns down to the crowd, you probably get one. Mm, I think if you flipped that. off the crowd, you would get one. Yeah, But, for like, sure. if you just go, you make a basket and you go under but the hoop dude, and you I mean, just yell, you suck. I don't want to get into too much detail, but he did make a gesture sure. in the Champions Classic. But that wasn't to anyone. That was to the ether. To what? It, it was, was to the ether. <laughs> it was to... The environment. I don't know. Yeah, I don't want to describe in too much detail what the gesture was, but an elephant trunk. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but I, I think with with Hunter, because I I don't know. Maybe this is my one experience, but the one experience I can think of where he was like really villainized was the Illinois game, right? In that Illinois series, and that was we came away from that exhibition being like, ah, he had like twenty points, but it took him a ton of shots. Like he didn't look super great in that game. Yeah, but we, we were overreacting. But also, sure. it was, yeah, it was an exhibition game, and maybe that's a different level with the Illinois. Because to your point, the Kentucky game, he was being villainized a bit, and he had a great game. So maybe that does mean he'll have a great game tonight against Kansas State and uh, villainize the crowd even more, and he'll get some bleep KU chants going. I could see them doing the bleep KU chant and him, like, waving his yep. arms up yep. to, like, troll yep. them. Yep, yep. Something like that. 
So that'll be interesting to watch. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter, RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of the day and see you next podcast.